prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Evan Rachel Wood from 13 and across the universe to Westworld. Hey guys, Josh Horowitz here with another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, the very talented, the multi-talented, you know, what skill does Evan Rachel Wood not have? She can clearly sing, she can clearly act, and she is a uh, a charming human being that I always enjoy chatting with. Uh, this is a catch-up with the great Evan Rachel Wood on the occasion of Westworld's season four debut. It has just debuted on HBO. I've caught the first four episodes, really dug them, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation with Evan about Westworld, but about entire career as we do around here. Fun fact, Evan was, for the devoted Happy Second Fuse listeners out there, you may or may not recall, back in the particularly crazy days, it's hard to, it's hard to say, oh, those were the crazy days, because look around us, guys, we're still in it. <laughs> Things are crazy. But okay, the, the uniquely crazy days of the first days of the pandemic, um, Evan Rachel Wood was the first guest on the kind of retooled Happy Sad Confused when we started doing it virtually and when I started asking folks about comfort movies, she was kind enough to come on uh, about season three of Westworld, but really about her comfort movie, Clue. Um, so that was, and I listened to that the other day as I mentioned to Evan, and it's just bizarre to listen to what we sounded like back then. We were all just in a state of shock. Um, but then again, guys, aren't we still in a state of shock? If it's not COVID, it's, the Supreme Court of the United States um, just just setting us back 50 plus years. I don't, you know, you guys know where I stand on politics and, um, and the like, and I'm not going to go on and on. But I will say, I know it's been a really tough week for, for anybody and everybody out there. Um, and it will be a tough road, surely. This is not, there's no easy answers to where we're at right now. Um, but I guess we all just got to maintain hope and keep our, keep doing our part. You know, I made a donation. I'll put it in the uh, link in the show notes for some places where you can donate to um, help, um, you know, keep opportunities available for uh, women who, um, you know, need options uh, because the options are, 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 are getting more limited in this increasingly totalitarian state. Gee, what a fun intro. I know, guys. But um, kind of appropriate given the subject matter of Westworld uh, and kind of appropriate given that Evan is a noted feminist who is always up for speaking her mind, and I really admire her for that. We get into not the not the the stuff I'm talking about towards the end of this conversation because it hadn't broken when we we had this chat, but we do talk a little bit about um, her activism in recent years. Um, you know, if you don't know it, she was, you know, allegedly, um, you know, in a pretty horrible uh, relationship with with Marilyn Manson and she has, you know, used her bully pulpit, her public profile to spread the word of, um, you know, trying to expand rights for domestic violence victims, um, increase the statute of limitations on these kind of crimes. And uh, there was a, I think it was a two part doc 
out early this year from HBO called Phoenix Rising, and she continues to, um, you know, she's testified on Capitol Hill and done a whole lot of great work. So that's the connection on the political side of things. But first and foremost, this conversation today is a bit of escapism, as Happy Sad Confused always is. It's a nice, long, juicy chat about Evan's uh, fantastic career, and she's been acting since she was a kid, um, you know, I, most of us probably first took note of her in the great Catherine Hardwick movie 13 opposite Nikki Reed. Um, but she has consistently worked and consistently worked with some of the greats out there. Um, as I referenced, she is an extraordinary singer, has a, a musical career on the side, um, but that's also, um, you know, broken out onto the big screen. In recent years, she was in Frozen 2, but probably you know, most notably across the universe that, uh, crazy Julie Taymor uh, Beatles-infused musical from uh, a bunch of years back. So we talk about it all in this conversation, including the new season of Westworld. Um, and yeah, she's always a delight. This was a conversation we did virtually, but in conjunction with 92NY. Um, a lot of fun working with them as always. Hopefully we've got some more, you know, we're always working on more um, virtual events, but actually, you know, we're really trying to prioritize more in-person events in New York City. So we will try to do that again very soon and you know i will be letting you guys know first here and really first i will say on the patreon page what a segue right patreon.com happy sad confused is where we put up all the video versions of the podcast of all the game night episodes of all the episodes of a second look and yes it's where we let folks know the first news on upcoming guests on upcoming events in new york city and elsewhere um, that's the place to be. So patreon.com slash happy confused. Give it a try if you are so inclined. We're trying to have some fun over there, and hopefully you guys are enjoying what we have to offer. Um, let's see. Other things to mention besides Evan and the horrible state of the world. Let's think. Uh, well, a couple exciting interviews posted uh, from my other jobs. MTV News, I did a couple really fun interviews recently. Caught up with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen for Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's up on MTV News' YouTube page. What a great treat that was. I mean, if you had told me I'd be talking to those two guys about a Star Wars project five years ago, I would have said you were crazy, but here we are. Um, so that's great. Uh, also got a chance to talk to Austin Butler. If you listened to the podcast last week, of course, you heard my conversation with Baz Luhrmann, the director of Elvis. The real story of Elvis, as you know if you've seen the film or if you've heard the buzz, is Austin Butler's remarkable performance, a true um, you know, catapult to another level of stardom, I think, for Austin. Uh, that was a great catch-up with him. That's also for MTV News. Um, highly recommend checking that out. And I'm glad to see that Elvis is doing well. You know, um, something that's not a superhero movie, doing well. Top Gun certainly, you know lit the fire in the box office, I guess, recently, but it's exciting to see so many movies, you know, people going out to the movies. Um, you know, I, I was I was pretty pessimistic about the state of, of movie theaters a few months back, but this summer's been pretty, pretty exciting. Um, we've got a very fun Comedy Central sketch coming very soon, I think the end of the week. I will keep you posted on that. We shot it the other day. Uh, a new young talent that has not been on the podcast before, but I have a lot of um, love and respect for her, and she killed it in the sketch. That's coming very soon. And what else? Well, just around the corner is San Diego Comic-Con. I'll be out there. I can say that, I think. I'll be out there for MTV News, out there for Comedy Central. 
um, doing what I hopefully do best, I guess, which is talk to celebrities about their projects and try to have some fun. So um, hopefully I'll see some of you guys out there. I always have a blast in San Diego, and I'm so excited to be back covering one of my favorite events, the insanity that is San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I think that's all the, the plugs for today. Let's just say, speaking of plugs, if you want to plug and spread the good word of the podcast, please do. I know I say it, but let's take a moment. Let's take a breath and think about this. Pay it forward, guys. Don't be selfish. Spread the good word of Happy Sack Confused. Do me a solid. Maybe this is your first episode. Maybe it's your hundredth episode. Go over to Apple iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a kind review. It only helps spread the good word. We're eight years and counting into Happy Sad Confused, and I am not giving up. I am just going forward until they pull this microphone away from me. That's my duty to you, dear listener. Um, all right, let's get to the main event. Here is my conversation and catch up with the extraordinarily talented Evan Rachel Wood. My guest today is the absurdly talented star, 13, Across the Universe, The Wrestler, and in recent years, HBO's mind-bending sci-fi saga, Westworld, which is about to come out for its fourth season. She sings, she acts, she can quote the movie Clue at a moment's notice. It's my old buddy, Evan Rachel Wood. What's hey, up, Nash? It's so good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you, too. Um, so welcome, welcome back to the podcast. First of all, so you, you've been on the podcast, but you've been in, you were actually, I don't know if you remember this, you were the first guest on Happy, Sad, Confused when everything went to hell you were kind enough to come on in those crazy times in march mm-hmm. of what, 2020 and we did t- we had like a 45 minute conversation about clue because what else were we were doing with our time then um oh, yes yes and it's so funny i was listening back to that chat and it's like a it's like a piece of history now it's like to hear like us like trying to sort out what was happening it's crazy now to think of i thought about that as i was doing all of the like zoom interviews in 2020. Yeah. During that time, like going on talk shows over zoom, all these unprecedented things. I was like, this is, yeah, this is history. Like not everybody's going to do this or has done this. This is very specific. Anything that happened in the past couple of years, I feel like will be referenced and studied for quite some time. I feel like people are going to look back at all the tape we did in 2020 and be like, oh, their brains are melting that year. Like they don't know how to process what's happening. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited to see now that everything is opening back up. I was talking about this last night to see the resurgence and what the culture is going to be like now that everybody's kind of back out in the wild, what the art's going to be, what the music's going to be, because yeah, our brains have been melted and bended in every different direction. And so- I guess we're going to see the effects of that. No, it is. I mean, it's true. It's a silver lining, a small silver lining. And it's been a horrible couple of years for all of us. But like great art does emerge from from wars, from crises, from tragedies. And this has certainly lived up to to all of that. Um, So you you, the the premiere was last night here in New York City. Uh, I saw you for a brief second. We were just chit chatting and we were talking about how it was cool to be out and about, as you say. Um, talk to me like what it's, is it still a little bit surreal to be out with your cast members out with folks, you know, and recognize in that kind of setting? It is, especially because the last thing that I did before everything shut down was the Westworld premiere for season three. That was the last thing right (laughs) Right. before the shutdown. And then, yeah, so this is 
I believe my first premiere. Yeah. Uh, like in person since then. Do you so have a, do you have an all time favorite premiere memory of not even just Westworld in your, in your, in your life? And like, what's, what's the one that jumps out as like, Oh, that was a bizarre, fun, weird night. And if nothing jogs, it's okay. We'll move on. You are asking me to go through a Rolodex of memories. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and so like, I, that would take me a second because a okay. lot of those memories are a little hazy. Um, <laughs> okay. That means they were like, good Every premieres, time I, I go, guess. I don't, yeah. I don't um, really smoke cigarettes anymore. Um, but I will say that like a Westworld premiere for me is not complete until I have a cigarette with Ed Harris. It's so funny you say that. I saw Ed, ha- when I walked into the party, I saw Ed Harris smoking outside. I'm like, all right, I'm, we're in business. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's just don't something. Don't smoke. I feel like, like, but I better smoke with Ed Harris. And like, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> a monster. Yes, yeah, so. no, I get it. Talk to me a little bit about, okay, so let's go back because your association with Westworld, okay, so the fourth season is about to premiere. I've seen the first four episodes, by the way, and they're ex- excellent, amazing as always. I love this season a lot, yeah. It's great. So we'll, we'll get into that, but let's go into the history first because you've been- yes. I mean, it's been a long road with this show. It takes a lot of work to put this series together. Has anybody seen the episodes? It's a, a very ambitious undertaking. You were first cast in what, like 2014? 14, and, yeah. So where were you at then when Westworld came around? Were you looking for a series? Were you looking for anything like sci-fi? I mean, how did it happen and where, where were you at? It was it was honestly a godsend. Um, I... I was in a weird place in my career actually. And I was sort of, I've had a few moments in my trajectory where I've gone, do I want to keep going? Do I want to stop? What am I doing? I need to reevaluate. And I, and I was at kind of one of those points right before Westworld came around. I was like, what am I doing and how am I doing it? Um, Right. And, and I was like a new, like single mom, kind of like, what am I going to do? And, um, it really just came to me. Um, Lisa Joy and and Jonah Nolan, I don't know why they're so good at like, (laughs) I'm tooting my own horn here a little bit, but like, but their ability to cast a show is, is pretty outstanding, especially because at the time when they said, we really want you to do this role, I was kind of like, why me? Right. I don't know. Like I, I, you know, it was like a period piece. It was like this kind of uh, like the sci-fi show. And I was just kind of like, I wonder why they thought of me. I, I don't know. Like it, I, I welcomed it, but I was kind of like, huh. And then, you know, it wasn't until about halfway through the season. I was like, how did you guys know that this was my, this was my role? Like I haven't, yeah. I ha- it's one of like the crown jewels of my career. I think we've talked about this. Like, you know, when people ask me like, what are, what are some things that you're most proud of? Like Westworld is definitely top three. And I think always will be. It was just like, especially that first season, just such a pure experience making it, you know, when like there's these projects you work on where everything just falls into place and comes together. And this was just one of those things where you could feel it and you know, you were working on something amazing. And so, yeah, it kind of reinvigorated my whole outlook on you know acting and my career and what I wanted to do and it was inspiring and it was like okay I'm ready for round two kind of a thing <laughs> yeah yeah I'm curious like, so like talk to me a little bit about that like where was that about self-doubt was it about not enjoying the kind of roles that were you were up for and feeling like the industry wasn't a seeing what you bit. were yeah, it was a little bit about not enjoying the roles because it's hard when you're in that kind of early 20s uh right. age range and you're like 
like, I guess, you know, like a pretty girl and people don't really know what to do with you. Cause you're like, I want to play like character roles and I want to be yeah. doing like, and they're like, but you're pretty. And so we <laughs> not sure what we do with you yet, <laughs> you know? And you're like, all right, I guess I'll wait for, you know, right. the more interesting stuff to, to come, not just like the sex symbol or the ingenue or yep. whatever. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a little bit of that, but also I think like when you've, when you've been acting your whole life, I mean, I've been acting since I was four, you know, I'm 35 now. I've already been doing this like over 30 years. I'm, you know, sometimes I get a little tired. I'm like, okay. And so I was at that kind of crossroads. I'm like, did I choose this? Do I want this? Is this really what I want to do? You know? And so, yeah, it's good to check in with yourself and make sure, you know, that you're always kind of like making the choice to do it. You know, I love the math on that. Cause how great is it going to be when we're talking when you're like 85 and you can be able to say to me, Josh, I've been acting for 81 years. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Like, it's like, it's kind of crazy. Like most people like after 30 years are like, I'm done, I'm retiring. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm half, yeah. I'm just getting started. Oh God. <laughs> like, it's pretty cool. It's pretty tired. cool. I have to say. Okay. So talk to me like these scripts from the get-go, so ambitious, so heady. I mean, th- th- this is dense stuff. And I'm curious, like, did you get it from the start? Like what were the big questions you had for the creators, the showrunners about Dolores, about the show? Was it all on paper or was it like, I don't understand like what this, where this is headed, what this means or, or what? A lot of it is on the page, absolutely, but so much of it is is you know our our metaphors and poetry and uh, you know mythology and and references of other stories, fairy tales, cautionary tales, um, and so it really helps having <laughs> Joan and Lisa sit there and so beautifully you know describe what we're doing and why we're doing it and. I think it was the first season about around the third or fourth episode. Cause I really didn't know very much going into the show. Like I knew it was HBO. I knew there were right. great people behind it. And so I felt good, essentially accepting a job from a script I had never read. It was like off of a concept because wow. we were allowed to read the scripts until after we were cast in the show essentially. And so it was kind of a leap for everybody, but I think we all knew sort of, that, you know, it, it was going to be something extraordinary, but I had no idea that it was going to be as profound yeah. and that it was going to be such a commentary on technology and society and freedom and choices and, you know, these existential questions that I feel like we're really just sort of starting to ask ourselves, like even, like you know, the, the tagline of the show, if you ever question the nature of your reality, it's like, it's kind of an eerie tagline, but it really is like a good question. Yeah. You know, like, have you, have you ever questioned the nature of reality? Not until this moment. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, and people ask me if the show has like changed my perspective on the world and on technology. And I'm like, absolutely. I think it'd be impossible. You can't live in that space for years. Yeah, of course. No, no. With, with people that, that really, you know, have their finger on the pulse of the future and what's coming. And I think are genuinely trying to you know, caution us about certain things or make us ask questions that we may not be asking. I mean, there's laws being broken right now that aren't even written because technology is moving so quickly, you know? And so it's good to stay on top of it. These, these interviews about the show are always very uplifting. They're like, no, I guess. <laughs> I joke around a lot. Cause they're like, tell us about the show. I'm like, well, you know, like the human race is pretty much done. <laughs> well, basically know? it's the epilogue of the human so race. Live it up. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> 
good to laugh though. Like yeah. you get at one thing that I think the show has been brilliant at, which is that it is so iterative and it and it builds upon itself. And that goes to the casting, goes to the setting. I mean, I remember when we talked a couple of years ago about season three, you were talking about it as like, this kind of feels like a new beginning in a way, yeah. a bit of a reboot. Right. Um, let's talk about season three before we get to season four a bit, because that was quite the season for Dolores. Um, yeah. How was it? Were you presented with that entire storyline and end for Dolores at the outset of that season? Did you know it was the end for Dolores? I, I did. Um, yeah. Um, they, they told me um, sort of almost, like at first it was kind of passed off as a joke. Like the first, uh, before every season uh, we all usually have a, a call or a sit down with Joan and Lisa and they sort of give us a blueprint of, you know, the need to know things about the season, sort of the right. vibe where we're going, but you know, all the details really get filled in as we're going. And so they were describing it to me and they're like, you know, and then maybe this is going to happen, you know, and then like, I don't know. And then she dies and then we bring her back. And I was like, you said that so flippantly, <laughs> you know, like, it's like a so nonchalantly just like, and then maybe you're going to die and then you'll come back. Like, that seems like a pretty big plot twist. <laughs> can we, can we like, dive into wanna, that for a second? Can we just expand on that a little or, are we gonna, okay. and so, yeah, it wasn't until um, we were nearing the finale that I got to sort of ask more questions and get, get the lowdown. And um, yeah. And, and, yeah, they were like, no, she she really is dying. Um, you you will be back, but you Got it. will not be Dolores. You know, you're gonna look and sound like you, but you're not gonna be you. But that's all I was told. And so it wasn't until I was coming on to season four that I got to know who exactly I was. Um, well, that's tantalizing. So that's fascinating because it must be, I don't know, was that a mixed were you excited by that? Were you thrilled by that? Or was it like, wait, I'm starting from scratch? Like I've been building this character over many <laughs> years. And yeah, it's cool, I'm coming back. But wait, right. what about my buddy Dolores? I mean, mixed, it's always mixed feelings every season because I already feel like the character has changed every season already. You know, there was sure. like, you know, uh, I call her OG Dolores. Uh, OG Dolores with the Southern accent who just saw the beauty and everything. And she was yeah. just pure and open. And then season two, it's like all the walls are up and she's just like on a mission, like Terminator. Season right. three... And, you know, and that's when she turned into Wyatt. So I felt like I was playing another character season two. And then season three, she's a more modern woman. And there's the duality with Hale. And um, you, you get into her interior world a little bit more, but she's still very guarded. So I was kind of excited to come back much more human. I think when people come on the show, they're like, turn me into a host. And I was kind of the opposite of like, oh, I'm actually, I'm excited to be more vulnerable and um, be a little nerdier. And, you know, also it was nice to have a break from all the like physically exhausting stuff. I was like, you guys go do it. You're so <laughs> I good at it though. Because I'm not in the dirt. <laughs> I'm not doing it. They're, they had mercy on me. I'm sure because next season they'll, they'll be back at, back at it. <laughs> So let's tease the audience a little bit because I, you know, I have a sense of it. I certainly haven't seen the entire season, but yes, you reemerge as Christina. You've got a very cool roommate in Ariana DeBose. Uh, again, let's talk about the expanding. I mean, one season you had Tessa Thompson, you had Aaron Paul, now Oscar winner Ariana DeBose. These guys yeah, are doing it right. Harking back to how good they are at casting, like. They cast like Tessa and Ariana, like, you know, this is like before Ariana's Oscar. This is like, you know, like right before like Tessa just like blew up, you know, so yeah. like they they can see people really well. Like in a, in, they got in a that up and comer Anthony there. Hopkins right before he hits. I mean, they got Put him Anthony right Hopkins on the map, man. Like, 
but you know, some people don't, they only go for like what's already popular. Yes. And, and it's, it's rare that you find people that not only are good at it, but, but trust themselves enough and like, no, like, no, 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 this is, this is right. Investing in this. Yeah. Um, so you, you, your roommates with Ariana's character, um, you're, there's a big sense of uh, Christina is, seems to be haunted by some things, has some dreams is there's a real sense of deja vu in her life. She's dating. This is not turning into a rom-com show. Don't worry guys, but there are some, some, some dates in it. Um, well, yeah, I guess, what can we say about Christina? Uh, what, how would you describe her? Um, well, I think, uh, people will sort of notice, right away that this is a completely new person but she is in a bit of a routine or a loop um uh that that may feel a little familiar um but i think she's just she's kind of like the wallflower she's a little like unassuming not totally confident in herself um really sweet girl very nerdy um, has Dolores qualities of, I really long for, um, romance and poetry and, um, excitement. And I long for something more than what this world has to offer me. And I feel like there's something wrong with the world, but everyone's making me feel like I'm the one that's wrong. And so I think that's where her and Dolores have a lot in common and that she just knows something's off. Yeah. And she can't quite put her finger on it, you know, and that's, that's so that's where she starts is sort of just getting this feeling and then having to uncover the mystery of who she is and what the world she's found herself in could be. We can say, I think it's in the trailer that we can, Mr. Marsden is going to yes. pop back in there, right? Yes. That's pretty cool. Is he Teddy? Is he good? Is he bad? Cause you know, people can. Right look like people and not be people. I mean, that's why the show always sort of keeps you on your toes. Cause you're like, Oh, Teddy's back. And you're like, is he right? <laughs> well, close. Yeah. All right. So, so since we have the luxury of time, we've never really done the career conversation thing. We're not going to hit everything, but I do want to go back a little bit with you. Okay. Um, Cause I know, I know you're, you were born into this to a degree. Your parents loved and lived um, a life in acting and theater and loved film do you like remember a time where like acting and film wasn't just like part of the discussion? No, no, I honestly can't. It, and it, it's very hard for me to even remember a time before I was on a set because right. I, I, I started working on films when I was four. So you don't have a lot of memories before that, right. like just kind of little flashes of things, but you know, for the most part, it's just always been a part of my life. Um, and so it's, it's just so, second nature to me now. I mean, the second I get on a set, it's just so ingrained into my DNA. You just go like straight into the, everybody always calls me a soldier on set because it's just <laughs> know exactly what I'm doing. Um, I, I, I don't know how to do a lot of things, but I know how to do that. <laughs> really? Well, I don't know. Like eating and breathing. Um, <laughs> when, when did you start to do TV and film auditions? Like when, when did you really make a concerted effort to like, your parents kind of help you in that I think area. It was after yeah. that first TV movie, and my 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 brother uh, Ira is also an actor, and and he was doing films as a, as a child as well. And like sometimes I would like piggyback off of what he was doing, and like get thrown into like one of his projects in like a flashback or something, and then right. 
Um, you know, this is when I was living in North Carolina too, and there was a lot more um, filming happening in Wilmington. Yeah. Um, so were studios. How did there. you not end up on Dawson's Creek? Wasn't that I don't like? No, the- I was a little young. Like, <laughs> and my tips weren't frosted, and so right. I can't. Like, <laughs> I was the right type. Um, but uh, yeah, and so yeah, I would I would drive up uh, from Raleigh uh, with my mom a lot to audition in in Wilmington. Um, a lot of sitting in hallways with that like old fax paper that like tissue paper yes inks all smeared you're trying to read your lines like (laughs) that was back in the day now everybody's like self-taping on iphones and stuff it's just a completely different world from like getting a fax (laughs) right a thousand percent did you did you have strong opinions like even as a kid about like high art versus low art like would you have been just as happy to be like on like Mickey Mouse Club uh, or a CW? No, you weren't. You were you you were, you were a highbrow. I was such you a were... little snob. I was such a little <laughs> snob as a kid. Well, because and but again, like not not in a oh, we're better than you, but just um, you know, again, yeah. My parents were actors, and my parents have great taste, and they're they're good actors, and they're like Jonah and Lisa, you know, in that like they they spot good quality. And like, and they'll, they'll see potential in somebody way before, you know, they're, they're discovered or, or blow up because they're not just like going after what's cool. Like they're genuinely, yeah. you know, seeing good art. Um, and so, yeah, there was, there was a real, not just appreciation for good art, but like integrity and why you're doing what you're doing. It was never based around celebrity or fame or, you know, just wanting people to like you. It was like, no, I really want to make something that's going to move people and change people. And, you know, art was sort of a form of activism in a way in, in, in our house. Um, and so I always treated it with like dignity and respect. And, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. just like throwing on a costume and making faces. It was like really trying to connect people. Um, and you- do you remember the first gig that felt like you were getting at what your parents talked about, where it was like, I'm not, this is not just work. This is like, this is, this is kind of important, and it, you know, with a capital I, maybe this is kind of special. I think the first time you move somebody to tears with a performance and not just a performance, you're like, oh, I acted that scene really well. It's like, for me, if I do a scene really well, it's because I've managed to let my walls down and show a part of myself and be seen, right. you know, and show a part that you're like, I don't know if anybody's going to relate to this, but this is real for me. And then when somebody else connects to that and they're, they're moved by it in the same way, I think that's when you realize, I was just having this conversation with somebody last night. They were like, what is that? What is that feeling when, you know, you connect with somebody through your art or you make, you know, that connection, you relate in that way. I was like, it's called healing. Like, that's what that feeling is. It's when, you're seen, you know, in a deeper way through art or somebody connects with you through your art. And I swear to God, that feeling that you get is like something in you being healed because something was shown and then it was, you know, it's like, we all just want to be seen. Yeah. So when did you start to feel the, when do you remember? That that that? was, I did um, a film, uh, not a film. um, I, well, one of the first films that I watched that really made me want to be a serious actor was the miracle worker with Patty Duke and Anne Bancroft. And that was the first time I saw like a, um, a a child act that well, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. And it just kind of blew me away. And so my dad, uh, you know, runs a theater. My mom's an actress. So I just got up the courage to sort of be like, 
can we do the miracle worker at the theater? And can I play Helen Keller? And he was like, when you're eight, when you're eight, we'll do it when you're eight. And so for like two years, I was like pretending to be blind, like walking around my house, like just trying to get this thing down. My mom played Annie Sullivan and we ended up and he kept his word. I turned eight and we did miracle work at the theater. And I remember the first night I really like it clicked for me and I was doing the water pump scene yeah, and there's yeah, a moment yeah. where she understands for the first time and like something just happened this night and I felt like the energy in the room shift and I could hear people weeping in the audience and I'm like a kid and I'm like suddenly you're like oh my oh wow like I'm just this little thing that just like moved like a whole theater of people and that's when I felt the kind of profound impact when it's like oh, I'm not like trying to act really well. I'm just letting go. Yeah. And and you feel that wave and the energy. It's, I think that was the moment. Well, it also must be one of those things where like you, you're gifted with that moment of feeling and then the rest of your career, you're kind of chasing that again. You know what that feels like. It's true. That is true. And you know what it, and you know when it doesn't feel like that. The curse. Yeah. You're right? like, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't it. That wasn't it. <laughs> that wasn't it. That wasn't like Helen Keller back in, when I was eight. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes those moments even more just sweeter sure. when you get in that flow state. And that's what Westworld, that's what I was saying about Westworld. That first season, you're like, oh, yeah. Everything's falling into place. Um, let's do a little bit of This Is Your Life and show you a couple of clips. There are a couple uh, films no that way. in particular we in the audience, of course, love. I mean, it's seemingly a pivotal moment is your collaboration with Catherine Hardwick and Nikki oh, yes. Reed on 13. And Catherine is such a unique spirit as a filmmaker, a unique life force in the world. Um, maybe let's show the clip first and then we can talk, we can talk on the other side uh, about what this film, what this experience meant to you. Um, let's take a look at 13. So bad. Look what I got from the tattoo shop. It's still right now. Yeah. So I get. This is probably gonna hurt worse than your tongue. I don't give a shit. Just do it. Everything okay, Evie? Yeah, we just pulled the coke knife. So, yes, you were doing that while you were watching the clip, covering your face. Clearly, there is still some sense <laughs> memory there. Um, well, this is the also, yeah. Talk, talk us through that scene. Yeah, it's also like I get I get why it was so hard for people to watch. Now that I'm a mom and an adult, and so I go back and look at my little fourteen-year-old self, and I'm like. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh no 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 don't do that put that down like um and um that scene actually um that little dull needle did slip a bit and so i am slightly getting pierced in that shot it kind of went like halfway in so yeah you're 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 not not yeah. so much I acting yeah on my belly button for a hot second i still give me like grief about it in a joking way so what so that experience from all indications of talking to Catherine and people that work with Catherine Hardwick over the years, like her sets are unique. Like she has such a yeah. fluid, almost improvisational style, like wants, mm -hmm. like craves authenticity, craves that, that, that feeling in the moment. Was that 
different than anything you'd ever experienced? Did it feel like a special experience, just the making of the movie? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny because it was so different. I remember the first couple of days thinking like, oh my God, what did, wait, what did I do? <laughs> I think it's, and you know, it was like her first film and you're like, are we, is this going to, is this going to work? Um, but again, I think because everybody threw themselves in head first and especially like with Holly Hunter sort of, you know, as, as the elder and the anchor on this yeah. thing, I mean, she's like as real as it gets and as talented as it gets. And so once you kind of surrendered to the experience, it was, uh, it, it was amazing because it did feel, she, she just, she gave us so much freedom and like, she really respected the actors and the actor's experience. And we slept in the house. We, we, you know, me and Holly and Nikki would, sleep there sometimes like we really wanted to feel like our home we helped set the kitchen up like we put you know when set dressing came in we like put the stuff in the cabinets so that we knew like it felt like our home and so it was like a second scan where we knew where everything was and then um yeah it was just like a messy crazy guerrilla filmmaking experience where like half the time we were shooting in places we didn't have permission to shoot at one point um, Steadicam was in a shopping cart. They like found a shopping cart on the side of the road and just threw the cameraman in there. So it was like that kind of filmmaking. And you're just crossing your fingers going, this is either going to be great (laughs) or, or it's a disaster. Um, and I do remember the first time we saw the film, just sort of being a bit shell-shocked. Like, I can't believe, I mean, I can, but also I can't believe that like our shopping cart Steadicam set. (laughs) Right. Right. I could see a scenario where, yeah, you walk away from that film being like, okay, that's going to be a disaster. That's not a usable movie. And no, like really it could have gone either way. Um, Not, not that I didn't have faith in, in Catherine, but it's just like, you just, you just never know. Um, And with the subject matter, um, you know, I actually turned down that film twice because I just didn't trust that somebody was going to do it right. Right. Um, Until I met Catherine and we sat down and had a whole conversation about it and she showed me her lookbook and and I was like, oh, she actually really gets it. I have to do this movie. And it's really incredible to me how much it stood the test of time and how much people still bring it up. Yeah. um, And how it it's still shocking. Yeah. So not not that it's meant just to be shocking, but the fact that like it was just so raw and so real that it's stood the test of time. I think, I mean, like it's hard doing something like that when you're 14. And now that I'm an adult, like looking back, I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, there were probably some moments that I was not like totally comfortable, but Mm -hmm. you are, when you're doing a film like that, sort of the sacrificial lamb in a weird way, because you're, you're, you're showing people this cautionary tale of what not to do, but there's actual teenagers in it doing the things you're not supposed to do. Right. And so it's, it's a little, like a little double-edged sword, but again, it's, it's like one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of um, still. I, I think it's funny. Like what was one of your best performances? It'll be like, it's still when I was 14. And well, the good news is you've got current work that we're proud of too. Sometimes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's no, not, absolutely. Yeah, but... <laughs> like, 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 yeah, and like kajillionaire, like there's a, yes, a lot yes. of things that I'm very, very proud of, but I, yeah, I, I just love that. That is still like, I think I will forever be like one of my top three. And I was like, a, you know, as a kid. Did, did, uh, did Catherine try to entice you to twilight? Did you come in and, and talk twilight when she was doing you know, it? It's funny. I remember her mentioning something while we were filming 13. She was like, I got to talk about this vampire thing that I'm doing. And I think I didn't really take it seriously. I was like, sure. You're going to do a vampire movie after this. And then, you know, yeah, yeah. Sure enough. It's like the biggest 
<laughs> thing they're in the world. Fine, they're fine. Everyone's fine. It's okay. Yeah. But I was really happy for it because that was also before there was sort of more of an incentive to cat to um, hire female directors, you know? Oh, and, and it opened up a whole new audience. It was like suddenly the studios were like, oh, young women can open a movie. Exactly. Who knew? Exactly. <laughs> And it changed the game for like young actors too. Cause I definitely remember being that age and looking for projects. And I mean, there weren't a lot of options when you're a teenager. It's like, you want to be on the Disney channel or you want to be on Nickelodeon? What are you doing? Right. But either way, you know, you got to smile and do a dance. Right. And I was like, it's just not what I'm, it's not what I'm into. And so I feel like 13 sort of opened the door back up for like, Oh, right. You know, teenagers are also like human beings with a, very yeah. deep interior life that we should explore more and sort of pay our respects to. So um, it's so cool. It occurs to me as I go to this next clip, you've worked with some iconoclastic female filmmakers in your yes. career in particular. Yeah. And of course, Julie Taymor is that um, a true visionary um, and across the universe is a hell of a big swing. It doesn't get bigger than like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to do a Beatles musical. <laughs> a Beatles musical and just the audacious visual technique casting you, but casting Jim, Jim Sturgis, who I think it was his first film. Crazy. Yeah. Um, let's take a, uh, this is a brief snippet of you singing just again, one of those iconic songs. Um, this is, I think, If I Fell. Let's take a look. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true? And help me understand Cause I've been in love before And I found that love was more Than just holding hands If I give my heart to you I must be sure from the very start that you would love me more than her. What a so you've got a pretty good voice. Let's just say, let's put it out there. Uh, that's the because the other side of Evan Rachel Wood that we should yeah. mention is that you're just the, this extraordinary singer, clearly. And like, talk to me a little bit about, I don't know, the privilege and the pressure of the most iconic songs in the history of songs <laughs> um, on that set. I remember hearing through the grapevine that Julie Taymor was working on at the time an untitled Beatles musical right. that was in the works. And the second I heard that, it was just, there was no other option. I had to do it. I don't think I've ever wanted anything more. I was like, and I was such a huge Beatles fan and I just knew this was mine. <laughs> and so I, I, I've never been more nervous for an audition. Uh, I remember leaving the audition and my back was covered in sweat, just yeah. just from the nerves of wanting it so bad and having, having to keep my cool. And I sang, it won't be long. And if I fell in the audition and talked to Julie for a few minutes and then left the audition going, okay, then it either went really great or really bad. I have no idea. And I was halfway down the street and somebody ran out of the building and chased me and we're like, wait, 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 wait. Can you come back? We want to like read you with some people. And I was like, 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ran back, started reading with people. And then, um, yeah. And then I think I had to wait maybe like a month or two to hear an answer. And then I was filming running with scissors sure. with Ryan Murphy and um, my agents came to set and I was like, that's weird. My agents are coming to set. And they told me that, that I was going to be Lucy. And I literally cried. <laughs> I started crying. Um, and it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I turned 18 filming. Um, and so uh, I was out on my own for the first time in New York city um, singing Beatles songs with some of the most kind, intelligent people, still all very close friends of mine. Um, and yeah, just the privilege of getting to watch Julie work and yeah. to know her mind and how much she really loves people and art and what she does. And like, she can get kind of like a bad rap sometimes, but I, I really think it's because she's an uncompromising woman. Um, yes. I know a lot of directors like male directors that are way <laughs> worse and they're, yeah. but you know, they're like hailed as a genius because they're so difficult. Um, and Ju- Julie's not difficult, but she knows what she wants. Yeah. She's not going to compromise. She's like, no, no, no. Like we, 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 we strive for excellence and she throws you way out of your comfort zone yeah. Um, like when she came to us and said, um, you know, I was watching musicals recently and I can just tell when people are lip syncing. So we're going to do it live. And we were already like a month into recording thinking like, take our shoes off after this. We can relax. The recordings are done. We're going to lip sync this. She was like, no, no, no. I think we're going to, I think we're going to do it live. So as, as if it wasn't stressful enough, you know, now, now we got to do it perfectly on the day. Yeah. That scene that we just watched was live on the set and it wasn't even supposed to linger in that shot for that long, but Julie loved the, the take and the performance so much that she couldn't, she didn't cut out of it. So that's why it's such a long right. opening shot. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was one of the best times of my life. Like, I don't yeah. even, I don't even know where to begin with that experience. Should, should I be surprised that you, obviously you were in Frozen 2 in recent years, which was a musical performance, but yeah. I mean, you who have so much talent and so much love for music, you haven't done like a, a full-on live action musical since then. Have you been up for a bunch of these? Has it just not been the right time or the right fit or what's happened? So yeah, one one I t- turned down because <laughs> okay. it, it didn't feel right. Um, and another one, I won't say which one, because I don't want to be disrespectful to the actress that did do it. Um, but I was really pregnant um, when I auditioned for one very high profile musical that they wanted me to do. And it was like the timing, like I, it just didn't work out. And so, you know, I got sent a big bouquet of flowers that was like, next time, next time we'll do it. Um so, but I think it's just because, you know, something, yeah. something's waiting, something's waiting. It, it will happen. If not on film, then definitely on Broadway. That's a, oh, a you dream. Have to come, you have to stay here in New York and do Broadway. I got to. Please. Yeah, I'm dying to. Um, let's sneak in one more clip if we can. This is around the same period. And like you talk about uncompromising filmmakers and you think of someone like Darren Aronofsky. Um, oh, yeah. Certainly. He's someone like that. Um, and uh, but I have great admiration for his work as I do Julie's. Um, this is The Wrestler, which is maybe his most stripped down uh, piece of work, though. And it's such yeah. extraordinary performances between you and Mickey. And um, yeah, let's take a look at you and Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. 
Hey, Stephanie. Where are you going? What do you want? Well, I just have to talk to you. I can't really talk right now. I really need to talk to you. I have school. You going to school? Yeah. Well, that's great. Listen, I had a heart attack. And I just thought I needed to tell you. You're such an asshole. What do you want from me? What do you want? I just been alone and uh, you're my daughter and I love you and I just I just needed to see you. That's bullshit. You want me to take care of you? No. Yes. Well, I'm not gonna do that. Where the fuck were you when I needed you to take care of me? You know, on all my birthdays, which you never even made one, you probably don't even know what it is. So you know what, no, I don't care if you had a heart attack. Fuck you. I love that movie so much. I love um, Darren's work of Mickey's work and uh, Mickey's work in that. And yeah, it takes something to tell Mickey Rourke to go fuck off uh, in a scene <laughs> or in real life. Also our first meeting. Like, right, so he, did, he didn't want to meet you, right? Offset, is that the idea? So in the zone, that whole film, I really, we, we really rarely interacted on set. You know, I only really got to know him like after filming and we became friends, but um, yeah. So that was our first meeting when I walk out the door and we do that scene. That was like the, the first words that we spoke to each other was that. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we really like kept our distance on set because um, he just he really wanted to be in the zone. But we did such such beautiful work. And, you know, again, like he was just he's just got such an ability to open up and be vulnerable, you know, and also be like the biggest badass ever. And yeah. it's such a rare, you know, combination, you know, of vulnerability and strength. Well, you talk early on about sort of just like when you open yourself up and that's yeah. when like the true connection happens. And yeah, this like tough guy, this like consummate tough guy got the best accolades of his career when he just like finally kind of like really let it open. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Show his flaws and, it, and show, yeah. 100%. And it was filmed yeah. a lot like um, the, 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 the filming reminded me of 13 and that, you know, like the the cinematographer has the camera on their shoulder and it's just yeah. it's very documentary style and it's very loose and it's like very much about the acting and um <clears throat> Darren was like yeah, similar to Catherine in a way in that like he really cares about the actor's experience and their input and like he wrote a backstory for the character and <clears throat> you know when I had to like get ready for a big emotional scene like he would come like sit with me for a moment like it's unheard of a director like leaving set to go sit with an actor to like get them into the scene like they don't right. do that but he did um and it and it, it shows like it shows that the actors feel comfortable enough and and like taken seriously and respected enough to give you everything they got because we're not going to give it up you know if someone doesn't appreciate it <laughs> yeah, no nor should you no. Um, that's just a small sampling of the amazing work. I do want to mention, not beyond Westworld, I'm very excited. Your work, you worked with one of my favorite human beings, Daniel Radcliffe, on a, I know it was a short shoot, but Dan says it's like his favorite movie he's ever done. Weird it's, Al. I agree. I We both said, I was like, um, 
I was like, oh no, I messed up. He's like, why well, was it? Because I'm only going to want to do comedies now. Because this was so <laughs> fun. We had so much fun. And so to contextualize, this is this is a kind of a biopic, not like a straight ahead thing as you wouldn't expect it to be from Weird Al. I think he co-wrote the script even. Yeah. Um, and it's Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al. And it's our buddy Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna. As Madonna. <laughs> Did you have Madonna in your repertoire prior to this or what? No, I I watched videos for like a month beforehand to try to get, because Madonna's 80, early 80s voice is a little different than Madonna in the later years. Like she, you know, I mean, she's Madonna. She goes through many different like evolutions and and changes. So it was a very- Can I I get a sneak peek? Is it still in there? Is it still in there? Is I don't want to give it away. I okay, want okay. people to see the movie because it's too, it's, it's good. It's good, but I don't want to give it away. Um, but I remember like the first day when we started, everybody came up to me afterwards and Weird Al came up to me and he was like, oh my God, your line readings, like you, it sounds so, it sounds like Madonna. I'm like, good, good. That's, that's the, the point. The wardrobe must have been insane. The war, I'm sure the wardrobe was unbelievable. The wardrobe was amazing. We had so much fun. It was so, and I agree with you, like Daniel Radcliffe is also one of my favorite humans. Like I was always such a fan, but you know, sometimes it's not until you're like really working opposite somebody where you're like, oh, you're the real deal. Like you yeah. are legit. You're a great actor and you're going to be around for a while. And no one has an excuse to be an asshole, by the way, after Dan, Daniel Radcliffe is the nicest person to everybody. And he has every right to like, not be if you wanted to be right he 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 said hello to my child on on set and i was like i don't even i can't even imagine how many times you've had to do this you know like because i was like i'm a bad mom if i don't if i if i don't facilitate this meeting and so can you can you do me can you do me a solid can you do me yeah. a like how many times has he had to do that and he was For just sure. so lovely oh. and so sweet i think he still genuinely you know likes brightening up people's days even though i'm sure it has to be exhausting um this, uh, we're not gonna we don't have time to give the this subject matter the kind of time it's worth but i do want to mention phoenix rising was a doc that came earlier this year which is a profound piece of work and and talk again about opening yourself up um you uh, i know that must have been quite the journey for you can you just talk as much as you're comfortable with just like where activism is in your life right now balancing that and balancing that passion um and kind of making some good from the the trauma you've you've gone through in your life um i think you know, kind of back to what, to how I was raised to, to view acting, I think sort of transformed and translated into activism later in my life. Cause it's about truth telling and vulnerability. And those are things you need when you're acting, but you also need them in, in advocacy work. You know, you need to be able to have the hard, uncomfortable conversations and to be seen in all your imperfect glory you know and like if we're really going to examine the problem we all have to start getting comfortable with putting everything out on the table even the stuff that you know we may not always be proud of because we're all human and and everybody has those things some worse than others um but it's about having the hard conversations and so that yeah that that experience of I am a very private person. I mean, even though like I'm an actor and I'm in the public eye, I really actually try to keep my, my real life private, but I knew that this was just, this was the time to be seen and that I was going to do this and and do it once and do it for the right reasons. And my family jumped on board to, 
to, to, to support me and to tell their truths. And I know it was uncomfortable for everybody to be exposed in that way, but it, it also brought us closer. Um, I think because it, it gave us all sort of space and permission to feel all the messy feelings, really process what had happened, you know, because I think there are victims of, you know, domestic violence, but it really affects the entire family and anybody who loves the person going through it. It's, it's, it's traumatic. It's, 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 yeah. it's, you know, on not just one level, but many levels. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, it was, it was very cathartic and I feel a huge weight off of my back and um, proud of, of what we did, even though, you know, really that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's still so much more and, and so much more that, that, that we couldn't put in the documentary and, and much more of the story, but this is, this will get people started, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. This, you know, and, and, and all I really wanted to do was educate people about the cycles and, and, and the red flags and use it not just as, you know, a way to expose somebody dangerous, but to educate people, you know, about the bigger picture, um, so that you can get ahead of this, you know, so we can try to prevent it. Well, for the, those that the want to learn more, more, please do look up Phoenix Rising and, and Evan's amazing work. I mean, you know, I'm sure I know for a fact you've helped many people by telling your so. difficult story. And I can only imagine how how tough it was and t- how tough it is day to day. But um, you're doing a lot of good in the universe. So thank you for that. Um, so circling back, Westworld season four. That's a hard segue, but here we are. Uh, season better. four. Makes sense. <laughs> we got to do it, right? Um, what's 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 up ahead past promoting Westworld? Do you know the next gig? Are you because I know you wrote a script a little while back. Are you still trying to get hey, something to direct? I I, ha- I had to put all that on hold to do the Phoenix Act, and and like my right. whole life sort of got put on hold, and the Phoenix Act took years uh, of of constant work and lobbying. Again, like what you see in the documentary is like this little sure. this much of what we actually you know had to do um and so i think now uh i i definitely want to continue activism and i'm sure you know uh work in the domestic violence field is is always going to be a part of my life even if it's you know i'm just like volunteering at a my local shelter like i just you know it's just something i need to do now um but i definitely because I was in it for so many years and taking a little, a little bit of a, of a healing yeah. break to just sort of regroup and, you know, regulate my nervous system again, <laughs> you know, so that I can go in for round two. So right now ad- ad- advocacy is a, is a bit on hold so that I can catch up to, you know, some other aspects of my life, but it, it, it will always be there. So yeah, I have Weird Al movie coming out in November, and then I'm still working on music. I've been working on some solo stuff. Nice. Um, <laughs> maybe one of the Hyam sisters is involved. I don't know. Uh, well, you're buddies with them, aren't you? That goes way back, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. High school. So, yeah, Amazing. we all might be finally making some music together. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah, there's going to be some cool stuff coming out soon. Excellent. And More Evan reasons to catch up. Yes. Evan and Zane will start playing live again now that everything's sort of opening Love back it. up and everybody's going back out on tour. So yeah. 
Love it. All right. Well, let's do something fun and silly with Dan when uh, Weird Al comes out. Um, It's good to see you as always. Congratulations. Season four of Westworld, as if you guys didn't know already on HBO, check it out. Um, It's, uh, you know, I love big swings, whether it's across the universe or Westworld, heady sci-fi. This one goes for the fences and it usually delivers. It does deliver. It's a good good one. Uh, Evan, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for joining us on 92NY and happy second fuse. Yeah. Good to see you, man. (laughs) and so ends another edition of happy sad confused remember to review rate and subscribe to this show on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts i'm a big podcast person i'm daisy ridley and i definitely wasn't pushed to do this by josh (laughs) 